All right, everyone, let's get started. So let's open the uh, Word of God to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open those at Romans chapter 12. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, I taught on Romans 12, verse 1. And so tonight we're going to do verse 2. So it's just one verse. And most of you know I'm lying right now, so that's okay. But, uh, but last uh, couple weeks ago, I did Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And this week, we're going to do 12, 2. And the title for tonight, and I'm giving you a title tonight, is Christian Misfits. Christian Misfits. I did. I did. Although I think these definitions fit your personality more than mine. So I'm going to read uh, the, the definition of misfit. So these were the three that I really liked. <clears throat> a person, number one, a person who, whose behavior or attitude sets them apart from others in an uncomfortably conspicuous way. I think of Mr. Scott when I read that. Um, whose behavior or attitude sets them apart from others in an uncomfortably conspicuous way. That's number one. Number two, something that does not fit or that fits badly. Does not fit or fit badly. And number three, a person who is not suited or is unable to adjust to the circumstances of his or her particular situation. So, yeah, it's definitely me. Uh, a person who is not suited or is unable to adjust to the circumstances of his or her particular situation. So those are the three definitions of misfits that I want you to think about tonight as we're going over Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in the concept of a Christian misfit. And if, 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 if I uh, bring back to your memory a couple of weeks ago, we went over uh, verse 1. Uh, if you remember, we went all through Romans chapters 1 through 11, right? We, we, we hit on all the big points of the book of Romans, and it brought us to, to 12.1 where it says, I, I, appeal, I appeal to you therefore. And remember, we had to figure out what the therefore was there for. So we looked back and we, and we figured out why the therefore was there for. All the way from Romans 1 through 11. So we started with the, the gospel was the power of God and salvation. Then we talked about uh, how we're all sinners and how uh, none of us are righteous, no, not one. But we can have righteousness through Jesus Christ because he is the righteousness of God, right? He's the glory of God and that we can have his righteousness. And we talked about being dead to sin and, and alive to Christ. And we talked about uh, chapter 8 in Romans, which... Potentially be the greatest chapter in the entire book of the Bible. And it, it starts with, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that? And then it, it talks about how we are, uh, that, that uh, all things work to good for those who are called according to his purpose. And how nothing in this entire world, nothing in the other world, and nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that? I mean, yeah. I hope you remember that, because I remember it. And so from verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we, we, we figured from that verse, and the point of that message was the only rational thing to do in response to everything described in Romans chapters 1 through 11 is complete surrender to Jesus Christ. Remember that? The only rational thing to do in response to what God has done for us and what Christ has done on our behalf is complete surrender to him. And so then that brings us to, to verse 2. So after step 1, which is surrender to Jesus, verse 2, 
Do not be conformed to this world. That also means do not be shaped by or pressed into a mold by this world or this culture. That's what that means. Don't fall into the mold. Don't go with the flow. Don't go with status quo. Don't become a label. Being conformed or being shaped or molded. See, this concept, it focuses on an outside to an inside change. So essentially, he's saying, you're saying, don't be changed to fit in and resemble the culture around you. Okay? Don't fit in and resemble the culture around you. Now, I'm not talking about like service level things like clothing, okay? I don't think that we should walk around and dress like, you know, Amish people and stuff like that because we don't want to be too conformed to the world. Listen, I understand we need to dress appropriately and, and all that stuff. I'm not talking about surface things like that. I'm not talking about moralistic preaching. I'm talking about an internal change in your heart. Don't let your heart change to where you resemble everything going on in our culture. Don't let it change who you are. Don't allow what's going on around you to change the inward you. Did y'all catch that one? Don't let what's going on around you to change the inward you. And this culture, this world, is at an all-out blitz. Full court press. Whatever sports metaphor you want to use. They're coming at us 100% push to mold us into some type of label and it will continue to inundate us with messages and methods until we start to believe it. They're just going to keep forcing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And if you allow it to, you start to believe it and it changes who we are and we become the sheep that they are trying to produce. Say, why do you say sheep? Because sheep are stupid. If you know anything about sheep, they're dumb. Okay? They will walk off of a cliff because they're dumb. All right? And they'll do whatever you want. You do whatever you tell them to do. Even a dog can wrangle sheep. That means the dog is smarter than sheep. Sheep are stupid. And so the world, that they want to basically change you and the culture wants to change you from the, from the outside in and make you believe they're the way their way of thinking, so that you just follow along with the flow. Just do what everyone else does. Don't question anything. Just do what everyone else does. And then this, when I was doing my notes, this is when I started to list all the ways they were doing it. I mean, I was on page three of the different ways that they were, uh, the world and its, its methodology being used. But then I stopped. Because honestly, it felt like the Holy Spirit stopped me and told me that I was focusing way too much on the particulars. You know what I'm saying? I was focusing way too much on the particulars and that I needed to focus more on the Bible and point us more toward Jesus. See, it's real easy for someone like me to get up and start saying all the things that this world does to try to change you, especially as teenagers. You know, I could, I could talk about your school. I could talk about the curriculum at your school. I could talk about TV and movies and 
the dreaded social media monster, right? I could, I could go into all those things and give you lists and details about how evil they are. And, and I started to. <laughs> I started to list them. Seriously, there's pages. And then it stops. And I don't know if you see my notes, but I literally stopped writing and wrote, focus on the Bible. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying, dude, stop. Go back to this. This is what y'all need to hear. This is what you need. You don't need my opinion. You don't need me to list all the things that are evil in this world because all you've got to do is turn the TV on. You need to read and focus on the word of God. So that's what we're going to do. Okay? So instead of pointing out all those things, I felt led to share the three weapons that the devil has used from the beginning of time to conform us to the world or mold us to be more like him. Keep your finger in Romans 12 and, and flip over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. It's right before 2 John. No laughs? Okay. It's going to be one of those nights. 1 John chapter 2. Whoo! Glad I have your attention. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. When you get there, say, I got it. All right. First John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, sometimes it, I feel it's necessary for me to tell you what the verse is not saying before I tell you what it is saying. Okay? So when it says, do not love the world or things in the world, because I know how you are, right? I know how you think. Well, it says not to love the things in the world and people around the world. And Jesus said to love people. So is the Bible contradicting itself? No. It's not saying do not love the people in the world. Because Jesus did say love God and love others, right? It's a big deal. It's saying do not love the world. Do not love the culture. Do not love the system of the world. Do not love the realm of sin that is controlled by the devil to work against, the, against God. That's what it's saying. And this system is described in verse 16. And we'll get there in just a second. Verse 15. Do not love the world with things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So again, what it's not saying. It's not saying that God does not love that person. Sometimes you might read that and get a little confused with the wording and how it's, you know, in line. And you're like, wait a second, this goes before that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it's not saying that. What it's saying is this. It's saying that the person does not love God. It's not saying that God doesn't love the person. It's saying that the person does not love God. So basically, it's either the world and its system or God and his. That's what it's saying. It's an all or nothing proposition. Do y'all know what that means? It's all or nothing. So essentially, you either love the world and love our culture and the way things are, or you love God. What's the opposite of love? Hate, right? So according to this, if you love the world, you what? God. You hate God. You might say, well, that's a little extreme, Pastor Chris. Where are you getting this from? 
Are you pulling this out of the scripture? Actually, it's in James 4.4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship or loving the world is enmity with God? And the word enmity, that word means hating. That friendship or loving the world is hating God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, we, we, we learned uh, a couple weeks ago about how in Romans 5, where it says that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And a few verses later, it says that even when we were his enemy, Christ died for us. He died for his enemy. He died for us so that we can be reconciled to him so that we, we, we would not be his enemy anymore, right? We, we are in right relationship with God. So if a reconciled person then cannot become an enemy of God. So if you find yourself favoring the culture and favoring the world and choosing it over God, then it begs the question, are you truly reconciled to God? And I'm not talking about little slip-ups, all right? I'm not talking about messing up. I'm not talking about doing things that are out of your character and you just did it because, I don't know, because you had a stupid moment. I'm talking about living in sin as if it's okay and you don't feel any guilt at all about it. And you make excuses for it and you justify it, but you love this world. Well, the Bible says if you love that, then you hate God. And if that's the case, then you are not reconciled to him. Does that make sense? So have you truly repented of your sin if you continue to live in them? I ask this question because it, it reminds me of Romans 6. We just read it where it says, how can we who died to sin still live in sin? If we're dead to sin, how can we live in it, right? And it made me immediately think about the prodigal son. Everyone knows the prodigal son story, right? We've heard it a bunch of times, right? So, so I think about the prodigal son. You think about when he's, he's, he's feeding the pigs, right? And he's starving. And he's looking at what the pigs are eating. And he's like, wow, that looks kind of good. Wow, let me come to my senses. I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to beg him to take me back. And his father not only takes him back, but he just welcomes him in as if he had never left. Now imagine if the story continued. And a few months later, the son's like, you know, that pig food did look pretty good. I think I'm going to go back and eat some pig food. I mean, it was okay for a while. And he'll forgive. He forgave me once. He'll forgive me again. It's fine. Dad's cool. It's all right. We got that kind of relationship anyway. He's all about grace and mercy and all that stuff. So it's cool. If the story continued that way, would we still feel the same way about the prodigal son? No. We'd be like, you're a jerk. What are you doing? Right? We'd be like, are you stupid? You got out of the pig pen. You were given the key to the throne. You're a son of your father again. You told him that he was dead to you, and now he's welcoming you back in. And now you're saying to him, you know what? I appreciate what you're doing, but the pig slop looks really good. That's what we do every single time we go back to our sins. That's what we do every single time we start to, to flirt with those sins versus flee. We say, God, you know, I appreciate your forgiveness and all, but I want to go back to the pig slop. Right? We talked about, we, we, we use some big words. We talked about mortification, right? Who remembers what mortification means? Anybody? Killing the sin man, right? 
killing that nature of sin and, and starving it, not feeding it. And then we talked about vivification. One of my favorite words. Vivification, right? What was that? Exact, doing things that stir up your love and affection for Jesus. So as you're starving your sin nature, you're feeding your love for Jesus. Right? And that's what we need to be doing here because we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Uh, verse 16 in 1 John 2. For all that is in the world. So it's saying for all that's in the world. The world system. Ready? He's going to define it here. These are the devil's only three tactics since the Garden of Eden. He's going to tell you what they are right now. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So your, your version may say that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Lust, desire, it's the same concept here. I'm going to explain to you what these three things are so that you understand the devil's only ammunition, what he uses, these three things he's been using from the Garden of Eden. I'll explain to that in just a second. The desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, that is desiring and feeding the most basic, base desires and appetites. It's being driven by an animalistic desire. One commentary said, wanting to please our sinful selves. But the best way to put it in today's lingo, if it feels good, do it. That's what the lust of the flesh is. If it feels good, do it. Whatever it is. Is that not the leading theme in every social media website there is? If it feels good, man, just do it. Whatever you feel, whatever you do that makes you feel good, just do it, man. Let that be your life goal. I'll eat whatever I want. I'll sleep with whoever I want and how many people and how much I want. I'll do all these things because it makes me feel good. It, it does something in me that makes me feel good. If it feels good, just do it. Y'all, that's how animals live. You know that, right? Like animals with no ability to reason. That's how they live. Feels good, do it. Regardless of the consequences, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how it makes the other person feel, I'm going to do it because it makes me feel good. Y'all catch what I'm laying down? I'm trying not to be too graphic, but are you getting it? Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Desiring and wanting the things of this world that catch our eye. One commentary says, wanting the sinful things we see. And the best way I know to describe this is wanting stuff more than wanting God. Wanting stuff more than wanting God. And you know what? The world and our culture spends billions and billions of dollars on this tactic. You always need the next thing, right? You always need this, whatever it is, this, this thing on this commercial. You need it to be finally and fully satisfied in your life. You need this. Until the next version comes out. Then you need that. And you will finally and fully be satisfied. Until the next version comes. And then, you, you catch what I'm saying? You, you get it? It's feeding this, this desire that you need more. And you're looking for satisfaction in everything else but God. And you know what? It starts with something as simple as a phone, right? 
Oh, I need this phone. I need this phone. Okay, you got the phone. Oh, it doesn't have the new thing as the other thing. I need that one now. But your phone works just fine. You don't need a new phone. Your phone works just fine. You can make a phone call, right? But that's not why we use phones, Dad. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. She didn't say that to me. I'm just saying. But it's phones. But then you can take it up another notch. Boyfriends and girlfriends. Right? You get one and things are feeling real good. And then all of a sudden you don't feel so good anymore. And you see someone that's a little more shiny over there. And you dump that one. You go to the next one. And, oh, now I'm finally fully satisfied because I have so-and-so. Oh, this is so great. This is wonderful. Oh, that girl has blonde hair. Bye. So now I'm fully, finally satisfied over here. Oh, she's taller. Oh, okay. Let's go. Y'all see this, what I'm saying? Not only boyfriends and girlfriends, but let's go. Spouses. I know people who go through spouses like that, man. Oh, let's go move on to the next one. We finally and fully satisfied. Cars, homes, whatever it is. So you got the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and finally you have the pride of life. Pride of life. Boastful, arrogance, pride. Literally, it means arrogant assumption. <laughs> Thought that was weird. Arrogant assumption. One commentator put being too proud of what we have. And then another is vainglory. Have you ever heard the term vainglory? Not the video game, but vainglory. It means inordinate pride in oneself or one's achievements. Excessive vanity. Guess what? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. I am the best at everything. I am always right. You are always wrong. I will always get my way. and I won't do anything that makes me uncomfortable because it's, hey, guess what? It's all about me. I won't go out of my way to do anything for anybody else. They should do go out of the way for me. Get out of my way, traffic. I'm on my way to work. No one else matters. We like to classify this one as being stubborn. But really, it's just pride and ego. And these are what Satan used in the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? I'm going to show you one verse. Where the devil used all three. Genesis 3.6. Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. That's the first one. Lust of the flesh. That it was a delight to the eyes. That's the second one. Lust of the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. See back in verse 5. The devil said that if they ate it they'd be like God. So that's what? Number three. The pride of life. So she took the fruit and ate, and so did Adam, who was with her. It wasn't all Eve's fault. It was Adam, too. He was there. So the devil did that in the beginning. The very first sin was based on those three tactics, right? So then he does it again. He tries it again with Jesus. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes on this 40-day fast, which, number one, 40 days. Come on, Jesus. That's a little extreme, right? Okay. I do one, and I'm like, I need a Snickers because I'm not myself. But I, I, it makes me angry when I don't eat. So I can only imagine what it's like for Jesus not to be eating for 40 days. Have anyone ever fasted before? Anyone? So it's tough. It's tough. 40 days. That's why people do Lent for 40 days. Because Jesus fasted for 40 days. And it doesn't have to be food. It could be social media. It could be chocolate. It could be whatever. Whatever. You are replacing that for time with God. And so with Jesus, it's food. So what's the first thing the devil does? Uh, so after this 40 days, he goes into the wilderness. And the Bible says to be tested by the devil. 
So it's like, okay, here you go. So uh, uh, Luke 4, 3, the devil said, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Y'all, I love bread. I do. Look at my body. I love bread. Okay? I do. I love bread. And if I wasn't eating for 40 days and the devil was like, hey, why don't you make this a bread? It would be like one of those, like, like you're in the desert and it's kind of like coming up. And all of a sudden, all I see is the bread from Texas Roadhouse. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that does look good. With the cinnamon butter, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it like melts when you put it on. It's delicious. It's life changing. If you haven't had it, you should go to Texas Roadhouse and have the bread. And so it's like that's and it, and honestly, if I hadn't eaten for 40 days, the devil's like turn that into, into bread, and I see the, the yeast roll from Texas Roadhouse, I'd be like, maybe once. Like, but not no, but, but Jesus does it, right? So Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone. So his first attack at Jesus is the lust of the flesh. And Jesus responds with this. You are more than just your base desires. That's what Jesus says. So the world says feel good. If it feels good, do it. And Jesus says you're more than just going out to try to feel good in life. It's more than just feeding your desires. And then the devil comes at another one. The devil takes Jesus up. Up on a mountain, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he tells Jesus, I'll give you all authority if you bow down and worship me. And some of us are like, wait a second. I thought Jesus was God. God has all authority. Well, let me just explain something to you. I don't have time to go into to the scripture. But basically, the devil has power over this world right now. Just so you know. And so, the, and so the devil says, listen, I'll give you the power that your dad gave me if you just bow down and worship me. That's number two. Right? Lust of the eyes. Look at all this you can have. You can have all this. Don't you want that? But Jesus says in verse 8, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him shall you serve. What Jesus is saying is that Jesus is more precious and more valuable than anything else on earth. And we are fully and finally satisfied in God and not in stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. That's his combat to the second one. And then finally in Luke 4, 9, 11, uh, the devil, he takes Jesus to the top of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then he starts using scripture. The devil. He's quoting scripture. Probably better than some of you can. And he talks about justifying it by saying, the angels won't let your foot hit the stone. So in essence, he's saying, I'm bringing you to the temple. And just so you know, there's a bunch of people at the temple at all times. He's saying, if you jump off, the angels will catch you, and everyone will applaud. Yay! Yay, he's the Son of God. It must be the angels caught him. He's floating. Think of that pride, that ego, the pride of life. But then Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. In other words, God is the rewarder of people in his time and his way, and it's all for his glory and not ours. It's all about him. If the chief end, of ma- chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then there's not a lot of room for my ego in that, is there? And he still uses these three tactics today. Lust of the flesh. Do whatever feels good. You'll be finally and fully satisfied. Lust of the eyes. Fill your life with stuff and you will finally and fully be satisfied. The pride of life. Get the applause and the approval from man and that will fully and finally satisfy you. Do these things. And then verse 17. 
The world is passing away along with its desires. What does that mean? That means all this stuff is temporary. It's all temporary. It does not last forever. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it will all go away one day. It's temporary. And it's worthless. And it will never fully and finally satisfy you. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And what does God want? He wants you to repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent means what? To change your direction. To start following after him. We talked about belief. Belief is more than just a thought. Belief is, is action. Belief is, is putting your weight on or putting your full trust in and surrendering to, right? He wants you to repent and believe. He wants you to surrender to his lordship. He wants you to follow his word. If you do those things, you will be fully and finally satisfied. So back to Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind. And that renewing of your mind means a new way of thinking. It means changing the way you think. Students, that should be our prayer every day. God, change the way I think. Change the way I think. Because it's either detrimental to me, to someone else, or to my walk with you. Right? And transformation, see, when we talked about conforming, we talked about changing from the outside in. And transformation is changed from, with, from within, I'm sorry, within from the inside out. Another word we use for that is what? Sanctification. To, to change, to, to set ourselves apart, and it's a change from the inside out. And if you think about it in construction terms, transforming is like a renovation. You know what a renovation is? Anybody watch renovation shows? Listen, I got really addicted to those um, when we were looking to buy a house, and now that we have a house, I'm watching renovation shows way too much. And I, don't, I just like them, they're fun. I, I like to see how they take these old, ugly houses and make them look cool, right? And so if you think about transformation as a renovation, you have a structure that needs to be changed. So what's the first thing you do? You tear down and rip out the old stuff. Demo day, right? I think I would be awesome at demo day. Personally, my favorite tool is a hammer. So it's like I just think that I would be awesome at demo day and I can let out aggression and just I've got some anger issues, and so I think that that would help me with my anger issues is to demolish a house. I'm just saying. So if you, if you think in construction and we're renovating something, you have to tear out and rip out the old stuff, right? Now let's think about that for us. Our old way of thinking needs to be renovated. Our old way of behaving needs to be renovated. Our old way of reacting needs to be renovated and here's a big one students this is a big one for your for for this, this generation our old way of feeling needs to be renovated well i feel this way and and i i feel like it should be no 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 no, no. that needs to be torn up and reconstructed to the way the word of god says not how you feel and students, this does not happen overnight. It's not. Renovation, 
if, if you ever seen those TV shows, it seems like 30 minutes, right? But it's like really six, seven, eight, nine months, okay? Just saying. And it doesn't happen over, it is a process, and students, it won't end for us on earth. Our renovation will be until we get to heaven. Because our sanctification is in preparation for heaven. Our sanctification is in preparation for heaven. Titus 3, 5, and 6, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration, which means made us new or rebirth, and renewal of or by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are even able to, to renew and to change our minds and our way of thinking. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you think that you can like start to clean up your act and then come to Jesus, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it just doesn't. You can't change yourself. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that can start the renovation. So salvation has to come first. And in the renovation process, we're taking out the old, and then what? We start bringing in the new, Right? We bring in the new materials. We start building the new plans. You know, the, the new walls go up, the new ceilings, and there's always got to be crown molding, and there's always got to be a new island in the kitchen, right? These are all things they got to do. And we have to fill our minds. Remember? Mortification and vivification. We're starving one and feeding another. So we're getting rid of the old, and then we start to feed our minds with the Word of God. We feed our minds with books about the Word of God. We feed our minds with songs about the Lord. Because right theology leads to right doxology. Those are big words. Peyton knows what I'm talking about. Right theology leads to right doxology, which means right thinking about God leads to right response to God. Right thinking about God leads to right response to God. And as God becomes what you delight in, he shows you what you are designed for. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good. All things from God are good. All things are for His glory and for our good. Acceptable. Acceptable not based on our opinions or our preferences, but what's acceptable to Him. And perfect. God's will is always perfect. His will is always perfect. And when we fill our minds with the things of God and ask the Holy Spirit to change the way we think, that is when we can better understand God's will and call in our lives. So the point tonight is this. Be a Christian misfit. Be a Christian misfit. Don't fit the mold of the world, but change your way of thinking through the Holy Spirit and filling your minds with the things of Christ. Don't fit the mold of this world, but change your way of thinking through the Holy Spirit and filling your mind with the things of Christ. The only way you can do that, in verse 2, is by surrendering your life to Jesus, as it says in verse 1. So if you've never come to that point in your life where you have fully surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then you're going to get wrapped up in the culture. 
You're going to get wrapped up in the way things are, and it's going to start to change you. And the only way to escape that is, number one, surrendering to Jesus Christ, surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and allowing the Holy Spirit and praying, God, change my heart, change my mind, change my way of thinking to be more in the likeness and image of you. Because the only way to get the Holy Spirit is through salvation in Jesus Christ. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for these students. I thank you, God, that they were attentive tonight, that they listened. And I pray, Father, that it it will be more than just listening, but it will be application. I pray, God, if there's any student in here who has never fully surrendered their lives to you, I pray that they will do that tonight, that they cannot leave here tonight without doing that. And that once they have fully surrendered their lives to you, that you come in, the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to do the renovation. To change us from the inside out. To be more like Christ. To look more like you. To sound more like you. To behave and to feel and to think and to react more like you. Jesus, I just pray that you be with me, God, with my walk. I just pray, Father, that You'll change me, change my heart. There's so much pride in there. I like to call it stubborn, but we all know what it is. It's ego. It's pride. And God, I pray that you would help me to stop falling for the devil's lies over and over and over again. But instead, just fill my heart, fill my mind with with the things of God, with your word studying it and learning it and quoting it, memorizing it, so that when the things of this world come, the God that I've got ammunition, that I've got the sword of the word of God that I can fight against the culture and not be like everybody else. Lord, help us to love you and to love others and to share that love with everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.